Uh, let's, if you just want to extend your hand, let's just pray for Bill. Uh, so come, Holy Spirit. We uh, thank you for Bill and just for the, um, the time that he's put in um, prayerfully and uh, to just crafting um, a message for us that will point us to you and what you have for us, God. So whatever you have to say to us today, I pray that you would just um, uh, make it very clear through Bill and we just invite you to come have your way. Amen. All right. Okay, so um, we have, you know, it's funny. I was just sitting there and realized, as Troy said my name, I'm like, oh, right, I'm supposed to get up and talk. <laughs> Somehow that escaped me. Um, I do have, you know, stuff prepared, though. Don't worry. So... Uh, if you've been around the last couple of months, you know we just got done kind of this series recently on church and talking about church from different angles and what it is and what it's about. Uh, it's all on the podcast on the website, by the way, if you'd missed any of it and want to check it out. It's good stuff. Um, but as one of the themes I saw sort of keep coming up in that series had to do with uh, you know, individuals being part of something bigger than themselves in different ways and unity and all that. Uh, and of course, you know, just in case you don't remember all that. There's sort of like, you know, as individuals in Basileia, of course, we're part of something that's, that's bigger than just us. Uh, and then Basileia is part of, a, you know, this bigger thing we call church that um, spans kind of the globe. And then, of course, uh, even beyond that, uh, we're really just the most recent generation of, of all the people who have followed Jesus for the last couple thousand years. And so we're part of this massive, long tradition. Uh, and tradition is really something I think about when I think about those who've come before us. And uh, I don't know about you. I think uh, I would imagine some of us probably sort of treat tradition as maybe a dirty word or like something we don't like so much. I used to think that way at one point. Uh, this is something that people set up in, in place of uh, a personal relationship with Jesus or uh, in place of being guided by the Spirit in a dynamic way. And so this is like a structure that gives us comfort instead I don't know if you see it that way. I bet if at least a few people probably do. Um, completely forgot what I was going to say next. Oh, yeah, okay. So, I mean, I'm all for the personal relationship with Jesus. I'm all for, I think it's absolutely crucial that we, what we do here is guided by the Holy Spirit. But I think it's misguided if we think that uh, tradition is at odds with those things. Um, we're absolutely a people of tradition. For one thing, uh, it's probably fair to say, at least those of us who are committed to following Jesus as our Lord, uh, we're here because he died, he rose from the dead, people saw him, I mean, it's re in real life, people saw him dead, saw him alive, they told other people, those people told other people, and on and on it went, and someone eventually told us, and thank God that they told us, right? But, but it's something that was passed from person to person, it's a tradition, it's, it's more than that. It's something amazing that God has done, but it is a tradition. Um, so fundamentally, that's sort of why we're here. Uh, and then, of course, we use the Bible as a sort of fairly important part of what we do here. And so it turns out the Bible's also a tradition. It's, I believe, much more than a tradition, right? I believe we can receive it as the Word of God, as inspired. But it is a tradition. It's something that's been handed to us by people who came before us. Um, and in fact, that was no small feat. Because uh, before 500 years ago, 
There was no printing press. Everything had to be done by hand. Um, if you, you know, try some time, if you really want to get a sense of this, write one page out of your Bible by hand, really neatly and uniformly, uh, you know, straight lines, all that, and think about how long it takes. And then think about if you had to dip your pen in ink every time you made a letter. And then think if you had to, sh and, and people would use quills, you know, back in the day, which you have to sharpen every couple of words with a knife. And so think about if you had to sharpen your pen with a knife every few words. Then think about how long it would take, and then think about how many pages are in one Bible. And uh, not only that, but they wrote the pages on the skin of animals that had to be sort of removed and stretched and cleaned and dried and cut. And uh, they have to make the ink somehow, no machines to do that. And so it adds up. I mean, I don't know how long it would take one person if one person did the whole thing, but it's probably on the order of a lifetime. Uh, and, and outrageous amounts of resources, tremendous, uh, you know, you have to pluck all those quills from like a goose or something. You have to get those skins from somewhere. It's, it's more than one person's task for, for one Bible. Uh, the fact that we can access easily like 30 versions in English on, on many of us on our smartphone, uh, it's, it's just crazy how much access we have given how much and how, mu how uh, much, how many probably millions of hours of effort stand between the, the writings that were written down and us having them. And to me, that's, that's something, if I really sit and think about it, I feel so, so privileged and so uh, gracious for that. You know, I mean, God, thankful to God, but also thankful for, for the many, many generations that did this over and over and over again, uh, that have made us ha be able to have this access. We're kind of standing on their shoulders in, in both the testimony, the scriptures, and everything else. Um, so all that to say, the Bible, tradition, we're, it's something we've received. Uh, and then there's other things, like having uh, communion when we get together, having uh, singing songs when we get together. I mean, that's something that we do because people have done it for a really long time. Uh, having pastors who oversee the community, and that's kind of their main thing that they do, that's a tradition too. Um, so really, like, I guess all this is my elaborate way to say we, we certainly shouldn't come under the impression that we're non-traditional. And someone would, a lot of people would look at Basile and say this is a non-traditional church, but they're wrong. <clears throat> uh, in fact, so the question isn't whether we are traditional or not. Uh, it's how does tradition work in our community? And uh, I read a quote just a few weeks ago that was helpful. It says, there is no such thing as traditional worship versus contemporary worship. All worship is traditional. The real question is, what traditions should be enacted in our worship? So in other words, uh, what, what traditions should we preserve? What traditions should we leave aside? Uh, or what traditions need adjusting? And which ones do we not adjust? Uh, what traditions uh, does God want to work through in our community? And what traditions does God not want to work through in our community? Uh, so I think, you know, we're sort of in this place where we need to seek the guidance of the Holy Spirit to figure out how tradition should work. It's not the Holy Spirit's guidance instead of tradition or vice versa. It's the Holy Spirit guides us in using tradition in a way that is going to be effective, that's going to accomplish God's purposes. Uh, I think some traditions, it's obvious, are good ones. I've named some of them already. Uh, other ones are obviously bad. There are some things that have been present in the church's history that are very, very bad. We should not keep those traditions. So I'm not saying uncritically accept everything. Uh, but, but, you know, there's certainly things we need to accept. There's some things that are maybe a little bit ambiguous. Uh, I have mixed feelings about certain traditions, and I have things I like about them and things I don't. Uh, one of them that I have a, sort of mixed feelings about is the Lord's Prayer. Um, 
If you don't know what this is, uh, the Lord's Prayer is a prayer that we find in Scripture in Matthew chapter 6. I did not hand out Bibles, but if you raise your hand, I'll hand you a Bible if you want to look it up. Um, if not, that's, that's cool. I'll read it out loud. <clears throat> uh, but Jesus teaches his disciples how they should pray, and he says, when you pray, pray like this. And he gives them this prayer, and it's not necessarily clear that he meant it to be like a piece of liturgy that we say every time. It seems more, maybe more of an example. But then again, it's also not clear that he didn't mean that. Uh, and certainly it has become a tradition that gets repeated. People, most, uh, people who grew up in church memorize some form of this prayer. Communities usually say it when they get together. You know, it's, uh, it's become a tradition to say this particular prayer. Uh, so here's, and, and also, um, I don't, I, just out of curiosity, how many people as a child learned this prayer and memorized it? Okay. And that probably corresponds pretty closely to how many people were Christians growing up. Maybe not exactly. Um, and I don't know about you, but I, well, let me ask you this then. How many people learned it in the King James language with the, or something close to that with the vowels and all that? Okay. Yeah. So here's how I learned it. And many of you probably have something close to this. As, as when I was pretty young, I memorized this. Uh, and if you don't know the prayer, this is how it goes. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Now, when I memorized this as a young child, there was a lot of stuff I didn't get. Um, I don't know if you can relate to that, but I didn't know what it meant to art in heaven. I was kind of... I mean, I was seriously picturing God up there with a paintbrush and an easel or something. God arts in heaven, I guess. Um, I don't know. And the thighs and the thines, that kind of, uh, I didn't hear anyone ever talk like that. And so it kind of, I, I got that it means like you, but, but it felt like this weird cryptic church language. You know, that's really the only place you hear thine. Uh, so that was a little weird. Um, hallowed, I didn't know the word hallowed. Halloween was the closest word I knew, and that's a weird association. Like, God's name has something to do with pumpkins and witches and stuff. I don't know. Uh, you know, it's, it's a little, it didn't get it. And, and then the trespassing, you know, uh, forgive us our trespasses. I was picturing, like, in my young mind, I'm seriously picturing, like, forgive me when I walk on someone's lawn and there's a sign that says I shouldn't. <laughs> and, and eventually I kind of figured it out, but uh, not for a while. Um, and so, I, basically, all that to say, uh, I sort of got used to saying these words, but not understanding these words. And as a result, uh, I'm used to praying this prayer as kind of a rote, uh, thoughtless task where I just say the words. And if I use the King James kind of language to say this prayer, I have, a, I have to really concentrate on what I'm saying or it's just meaningless and it's like empty to me. Um, and, I'm, I, you know, I have to either really, really focus or else like update the words so that it, they're words that I would use. <clears throat> that I would use, otherwise it doesn't, it doesn't do a lot for me. And I don't know about you, but like, does anyone, I'm, it's hard to convey raising my hand, does anyone like relate to that with this prayer? Okay. So some people do. Um, so on the one hand, it kind of feels like a hollow kind of tradition that doesn't hold a lot of meaning for me. On the other hand, I think it's really an awesome prayer. Uh, I think Jesus knew what he was talking about, you know? Um, that's obvious, but one of the things I really appreciate about this prayer is it keeps us focused on the kingdom of God. That The fact is prayer is not primarily about convincing God of something. It's about seeing God's will done on earth. 
That's the main thing about prayer. And that really is there. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think that's two ways of saying the same thing. Uh, and then, and really, hallowed be thy name, uh, again, is kind of this idea that we want the whole world to acknowledge God's name as holy, as sacred, that God is worthy of praise. We're looking forward to it. We're looking to see it starting now. Um, may God's name be regarded as holy in the earth. May God's kingdom come. May God's will be done on earth like God's will is done in heaven. Uh, so that's really great. It's, I mean, praying this specific prayer can help us focus on that that's really what this prayer thing ought to be aimed at. Uh, not just getting our little needs met, but the, the really big things uh, that God wants to do in terms of the salvation of the earth. At the same time, uh, it's not just about the big things because we also have a prayer in there for bread. And so it is about the daily mundane little things as well. And of course, bread's important, but you get the idea. In the grand scheme of the salvation of the world, a loaf of bread is like kind of pretty minor, uh, but God cares about the things that are little and, and matter to us. Uh, otherwise, he probably wouldn't care about us at all. Uh, in, when I went to seminary, you know, when people talk about sort of, you know, there's always examples of like weird things Christians do that you don't want to encourage. And if someone was to talk about Christians who either pray really selfishly and self-centered or else uh, pray about frivolous, unnecessary things, the example they'll often use is praying for parking spaces. Uh, I heard that a lot of times, and I was actually always happy to say, you know what, I pray for parking spaces quite a lot. Uh, if you, you know, if you live in the suburbs, it's harder to understand, so that's part of it. But I mean, I pray, I'll pray for parking spaces, and I'll tell you why. I'll tell people this. I mean, like, like every, Jesus says, every hair on my head is numbered. Nothing is, like, nothing about me is, is not relevant to God, and so I want God to be involved in everything I do. It's not that I think I'm entitled to like have the perfect spot every time, and I need to have every little need met immediately, um, but I want God to be involved in everything. I think everything that's important to me matters to God, and if for no other reason that he chooses for it to matter. And I'd say that, and people go like, oh yeah, that's not a bad, that's, not, that's a decent point, actually. Um, so praying for little stuff, too. This prayer reminds us of the big stuff that we pray for, it reminds us of the little stuff that we pray for. Uh, it reminds us that we pray not just for ourselves as individuals, but for us as a, as a body, right? Because it's our daily bread and our trespasses and all that. Uh, and there's lots of other good stuff in there too. But all this is me saying, uh, I think it's a good prayer. And yet I think it's a hollow tradition. And so I have these mixed, conflicted feelings. I do think we should keep it and use it. Uh, I encourage you to learn it if you don't know it. Um, but it is kind of ambiguous, right? There's this question of, well, what, how should this work? Do we need to adjust it to make it more effective or what? How, how, you know, there's ambiguity in tradition. So I think it makes sense to seek God's guidance in how tradition should work as a community. Now, all this has been an extraordinarily long-winded introduction to the subject of Lent. Lent starts, uh, well, it started on Wednesday, but today's the first Sunday in Lent. Uh, if you don't know about this thing, it is a tradition uh, of the church that uh, goes back a really long way, and it's basically a 40-day period leading up to Easter uh, when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, Lent is not so much about the resurrection of Jesus, though, as it is, I think, uh, the fact that Jesus gave himself as a sacrifice for us. So the fact that he was willing to lay down his life uh, for our sins, for us to be saved and reconciled to God, really sitting with that reality, letting that really sink in, 
really being aware of that and that that has something to do with us and how we live our lives. Um, and so uh, there's this tradition, uh, a few practices that you would typically do during this period of about 40 days uh, prior to Easter. Uh, one of those is prayer. And of course, uh, as Troy talked to us about last week, we really are emphasizing prayer in particular this year. And there's prayer trainings that everyone's encouraged to be a part of. Uh, and, and other ways we could, we could sort of make extra time for prayer, time to check in with God, hear his voice, you know, et cetera. Uh, a second thing that's involved is uh, self-denial, things like fasting or giving something up. Uh, a third thing that's involved is uh, repentance, that is uh, acknowledging our sins and not doing them anymore, sort of like changing how we think, changing how we act, uh, turning from our sins to, to God. Uh, and then fourth would be... Um, almsgiving, which is uh, sort of sharing resources with people who are in need. Um, now, this tradition is actually a really, it goes really early in the church's uh, history, as far as I can tell. By the end of the second century, uh, people were already calling it an old tradition, so that seems to push it back pretty far. Uh, it wasn't always a set 40-day period. I think early, it might have been a shorter, you know, early on. And also, there was a sense early on that uh, it was sort of like one person might do this and one person might do that. It wasn't super consistent. Uh, a few centuries later, it's more a, a set 40-day period. Um, and then as you go forward in the church's history, there's different times when maybe in some uh, parts of the world, people would prescribe, like, don't eat meat for 40 days or don't eat this, this, and that. Uh, don't do this, do do this. Uh, so sometimes it's like folks would prescribe what you do. In some places, it's a little more free and you just do what you think is a good thing to do. Uh, but it is something that, that those who came before us have done for a very long time. Uh, and you might say, uh, you know, a way that, that I'm kind of trying to, I want to kind of encourage you to think of it is not so much uh, that it's about any one thing. It's really uh, adding and subtracting uh, things for the sake of uh, helping us to really sit with the reality that Jesus gave himself for us. So adding prayer, adding generosity, subtracting sin permanently, subtracting something we're accustomed to uh, temporarily, just to help us focus on Jesus. Uh, now, you may have mixed feelings about that, I don't know. Uh, a, a few years ago, one of my church friends, I remember posted on Facebook at the beginning of Lent, she said, this year for Lent, I'm giving up hollow, meaningless religion. And so obviously for her, this practice seemed uh, like something that people do just for its own sake, or you know, maybe, maybe out of a sense of wanting to earn something, maybe out of a sense of uh, paying for something or just making people satisfied that you're participating, I don't know, something like that. She didn't see it as a meaningful practice. She saw it as contrary to uh, relationship with Jesus, I would guess. Uh, is, is that what it is? Is it hollow, meaningless religion? Well, I think it uh, definitely can be. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, I was uh, in the lunchroom one year, and uh, there was another kid I overheard saying, this year for Lent I'm giving up brownies, because I don't eat brownies anyway. <laughs> and uh, we were young kids, you know, maybe eight, so probably like a parent or a pastor or somebody told him he had to give up something for Lent, and uh, he took the easy way out. And, you know, a young kid, you, you can't blame him maybe, but, uh, but you get the, it does illustrate that, that, yeah, it can be something you just do. Uh, it can be something you just do because people do it. 
It can be something that we don't really have our hearts in. Uh, and, and if we're just giving up, if we think of Lent as essentially it's about giving up the brownies that we didn't want anyway, I would say, yeah, it is hollow, meaningless religion then. I'd say it's, pr it's probably not something we want to uh, encourage everyone to do, if that's all it is. Um, and so the question is, can this be of value to us, though? Um, now, now, those of us who kind of get up here and teach, I don't know if you know, but we, we talk together and pray and sort of plan, like, you know, what we're going to do in the future, share ideas and all that. And uh, we did kind of pray and feel like in this next handful of weeks, about six weeks, um, that God was sort of guiding us to do some, some stuff in terms of Lent, encourage people to uh, practice it, and that there'd be value there. Uh, and so I think God's in that. I think that uh, that's for us. I think there is value there for us. Uh, as, as we said before, uh, mainly we want to focus on prayer as the primary thing for Basileia, that we feel like we want to encourage everyone to find ways to add prayer. And, uh, and, and of course, everyone's encouraged to do the prayer training. Uh, but I also want to suggest that there may be other things that we want to do on a sort of person-by-person -person basis or whatever. You can talk with other people if you want to, too. Uh, but I want to, um, I think there's value in, like, looking at other things we might add and subtract for, for the purpose of really sitting with uh, that reality that Jesus gave himself for us. Um, now, I'm going to confess, I have never been a big Lent observer. Uh, I've pretty much ignored it most of my life. Uh, there is actually even, I'm even a little bit conflicted about it. I do think that God's in this for us right now, but I, I do have a part of me that kind of goes, ah, this is just a tradition that, you know, whatever. Um, so I, it, it's kind of difficult to come up with what I was going to say today. But uh, I do want to, you know, usually when I get up here, I share things that I know well, that I've thought about for years. This is not what I'm doing today. I'm kind of in, on a little bit of shaky ground here, but I do think that there's some value there for us, and so I want to challenge you and me uh, to give this a try, this old tradition, and, and um, see what we can, you know, how we can benefit, how God can work through that. Um, I do want to be clear, though, about what I'm not suggesting we do, so some reasons not to observe Lent. Uh, first of all, if you feel like you're being pressured to do something that you don't think will actually be of value, don't do it. I want to be clear. Don't do anything just because just I said so or anyone said so. Uh, number two, what was number two? If you feel like you have to jump through hoops, this is just something to do to, like, say you did it, don't do it. Um, if you feel like there's any sense of this is to pay for uh, sin or something like that, you definitely shouldn't do it. Uh, Lent is about the crucifixion of Jesus where he paid for our sins, so that would be silly. Uh, you don't pay for what Jesus already paid for. Uh, and fourth, if uh, you feel like there's a sense of earning God's favor or something, like, don't, don't participate. I don't want you to feel that way. I'm not asking you to do anything like that. On the other hand, uh, some reasons to do it. Uh, first of all, I don't know if you've noticed that uh, people use the word intentional a lot these days. I hear it all the time uh, as an academic kind of guy. I hear people say intentional an awful lot. Uh, why do people talk about intentionality so much? I'm not sure, but I, I suspect part of it is that uh, today we're not often all that intentional. Uh, I think mostly we do what feels good or we do uh, what's easy or convenient or else maybe we just do what we're used to or we do what's familiar, what uh, seems like the, least, the path of least resistance or something. Uh, so 
intentionality is sort of the exception of the rule. We do intentional things, but maybe not that much of the time. Now, uh, obviously, prayer is not just for Lent. It's something that Christians should do all the time. Uh, I think repentance, if you're ever aware that you're sinning, you should repent immediately and not wait until the spring. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, living generously, giving to people in need, sharing resources, absolutely for Christians to do all the time. And uh, I think fasting also at any time on the calendar can be valuable as a way to uh, remove one thing and help us focus on something else and be reminded of something else over and over again. Uh, so they're all good things to do anytime. Uh, it's not that they're just for Lent, but it may do us some good to spend some time being intentional about what do we want to add and subtract um, to help us really get into this season and sit with uh, this really important truth that I think is well worth, worth uh, six weeks of our attention. Um, so, you know, there's different things. This could look different ways for different people. Uh, you may want to, and you don't have to do anything. I, I'm going to encourage you in a minute to kind of go to God and pray on that. But, uh, you know, you could consider doing something for the whole next six weeks until Easter. You could consider doing something focused for a couple days or one day or one afternoon or whatever. Um, you may, you know, consider fasting for a little while or not. Uh, you could consider giving up one thing that you usually do that you'll notice is missing. Uh, if you drink coffee, you could give up coffee for a few weeks or TV or whatever it is or not. Um, or, you know, also thinking about adding. Of course, there's the prayer training that we're encouraging, but also maybe setting aside additional time for prayer, maybe uh, doing volunteering of some sort or giving money away somewhere. Uh, there's a lot of ways it could look. And uh, I think everyone who does participate will participate in their own way. Uh, I actually, you know, this morning I was praying and really felt like the Lord kind of gave me a picture about that. It was of a, uh, this really fancy chandelier, and I feel weird bringing that up because I'm not a chandelier guy. I'm not into fancy stuff and crystal, in case you couldn't tell. Um, but it was of this really beautiful chandelier, all these little pieces of crystal, and they were all oriented in different ways. And so they were all catching the light in different ways, and they all looked a little bit different, but it formed this one beautiful sort of coherent whole. And, and I felt like, you know, God was kind of saying something in that, that, you know, as an additional reason to observe Lent, if we do this together, even if we're doing different things, it's kind of this beautiful communal thing. And also something that we're doing with all the Christians all over the place, because, you know, Christians everywhere during the same span of days are doing these sorts of stuff. Um, so I want to encourage you to consider doing some of these things, adding and subtracting in certain ways uh, as you see fit. Um, and I am going to read a scripture in case you were wondering. Um, Lent came after the Bible, so there's not a lot of Bible verses about it, sorry. Uh, but this is, uh, while it's not about Lent, this passage is kind of... Uh, you know, I think it has to do with adding and subtracting and being intentional in how we live our daily lives in certain ways. And so I thought it would be appropriate to read it to you as kind of just an exhortation. Uh, so it's from Romans 12. Um, Paul says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And I'll skip to verse 9. There's, there's good stuff in between, but it's off topic. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. 
Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. So uh, if, the, if some, the band or part of the band wants to come back and give us some music, uh, I want to just take a handful of minutes and kind of go to God in prayer. Uh, you know, you don't have to take my word for any of this. I'll give you this back. You don't have to take my word for any of this. I encourage you to go to God and see what he tells you about all this, what he would encourage you to do or not. Um, if you're not familiar with this idea, we've said a lot of things today so far about hearing from God. Uh, if that's unfamiliar to you, it is our experience and our conviction at Basileia that uh, God does speak, that um, God speaks in prayer by his Holy Spirit, and that you know, if you want to participate in that and you're not sure how, you can... Um, just sort of start by being aware that, that God's here, that he loves us, that he's glad we're here together, that he's smiling down on us. And as you become aware of that, you can just ask a question like, God, what would you have me add and subtract for Lent, if anything, this year? Uh, and you may, you may feel like your thoughts go in a certain direction you weren't expecting. You may see an actual picture in your mind's eye. You may... Uh, find that there's a word or phrase that you are thinking of. Uh, if it doesn't make sense at first, you can ask follow-up questions. What does this mean? What are you showing me? Sit with that for a little bit and just see, see where this goes. And uh, we may go into some prayer, but for now, let's spend a handful of minutes just sitting with this.